So two weeks ago, Jane, the one that told the first joke, <laughs> brought us a prophetic word that she had been praying over that she felt the Holy Spirit give her. And it was so powerful. And basically, if I can sum it up in one sentence, I probably won't do a perfect job, just like I, when I tell my jokes. But she said that a move of God is coming and that we are called to prepare for this move. And we're called to be ready as the body of Christ. And she said, you know, I thought maybe I should do a prayer meeting or we should do this or we should do that. And she said, Holy Spirit said, it is very personal, this preparation. It's very personal. It is between each of us and our creator to prepare ourselves, right? It's personal. That phrase, it's not personal, well, in this case, it is personal. He has something for each of us. I'm sorry, that baby is so cute and I can't focus. <laughs> Hi, Owen, you're so cute. Sorry, okay. He has something for each of us to do. What I said to the graduates is for each and every one of us in the room. And, it, and if you need to hear her word again, I want you to hear it. I, I could listen to it over and over and over again. It's so powerful what God gave her. Travis then shared this quote that he like wanted to do the drop the mic thing because he thought this was so good. And I agree. We all did too. You are not just saved. Oh, wait, that's mine. His is, the people of the church do not exist to help the pastors accomplish their vision. The, the pastors exist to help the church accomplish the mission God has given to each of them. It's a good word. It's a good word. And it's so cool because I've always felt like as a pastor, my job, and this is scripture, this is Ephesians, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that is our job, not to do it all, not to try and balance it all, not to try and make it all happen for everyone, but to equip you to function in glory, to equip you to think kingdom-minded, to equip you to know who you are and know what God has designed you to do and be ready to go at any, what does it say, in season and out of season, right? So we focused in on that it's a personal and for whatever reason, Holy Spirit was like, I want you to talk about the priesthood. I want you to talk about that we are all priests in the kingdom. So we started off the message last week talking about um, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings. A spiritual nation set apart as God-devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience this marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the earth. And it's funny, we talk about being sons and daughters, and we're going to talk about that today, and we talk about our identity in Christ, and it's not often that we preach on being a priest. How many of you knew that you are a priest? You're looking at me like, that's weird, cool, okay, what do you mean? So we're going to go into that. What is a priest? But we want to tell you that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're a priest. A teacher is a priest, and teaching is what she does to support her priesthood, or he does to support his priesthood. A dentist is a priest, although I don't really like dentists. <laughs> that was funny. Do you like going to the dentist? I don't like going to the dentist. I don't not like them as a person. I just don't like what they do to me. 
Okay. Anyway, so an electrician is a priest whose profession supports his priesthood. A coach is a priest whose profession supports his priesthood or her priesthood. We are all priests. That's what he said. A chosen people, a royal priesthood. What does that mean? Every follower of Jesus is part of a royal nation, his kingdom. You're royalty. And you are all called to full-time ministry. We've made full-time ministry a job and segregated it out for ministers. And in Acts 2, when the church exploded through the power of the Holy Spirit, every one of those believers knew it was their calling, right? To take it and tell everyone they can. So that's who we are. That's what we're called to do. It's not an occupation. It's a lifestyle. Amen? Are you ready? Here's Pastor Travis. So there were nine of us total that went down to game day, our state men's conference this past weekend. And we had an awesome time. It was powerful. It was passionate. Um, Heard from some amazing speakers. And... John Wooten, who is our state pastor, our network superintendent, he spoke. And one of the things he said, it just stuck with me. He began his message by talking about the role of a pastor and what makes a pastor, um, what makes them effective and healthy. And so he went through, he, he shared the scripture from Ephesians that Leslie just referenced, that pastors are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then he started sharing four things as the body of Christ you should not allow your pastors to do. And the one thing he shared, I thought, this is so powerful. I've never thought of it from this perspective before. He says, as the church, you should not allow the pastor to steal your job. You should not allow the pastor to steal your job. I'll let that sink in because that hit me hard because we are so prone to doing that. Oh, we see a need, it's not getting fulfilled, well, we'll do it. When it's somebody else's responsibility in the body, and I am OCD and I try to do as much as I can to get as much as I can done the right way, the way I want to do it. And if I see something that's not happening that should be happening, I'll do it. I'm the pastor. I'll do it. And that's not right. I have to learn to let things go. And if something doesn't happen because I'm not the one who should be doing it, it's okay. It's all right. We are a priesthood, the church. So I thrive on giving the background of something. It's like I get giddy sometimes about it because I love explaining the context behind what we're telling you. We tell you you're priests and you say, what is a priest? It's great that you know and you understand that's your identity, but what does that even mean? A Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, what, what, an Old Testament, Old Covenant priest? What is a priest? What does that even mean? So let me give you some background. This is what I love to do. So the Old Testament priesthood, track with me here because I hope this hits you like it does me. I love it. At first, 
If you start in Genesis and you read forward, every man was his own priest. He presented his own sacrifices to God. Cain and Abel, perfect example. We all know how that resulted. Then we move forward. By the time of Noah, the heads of the family were the priests. And they offered the sacrifices for the atonement of their family. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job. Then we get this really, really kind of mysterious almost character in the Bible. His name was Melchizedek. Say Melchizedek. He is the first priest ever recorded in Scripture. And guess what? He's mentioned one time. But the impact of what he does has a ripple effect throughout the rest of Scripture. And in Hebrews, we see the, the impact and the importance of his order all the way through Jesus. I'll explain that in a minute. But this is what, in Genesis, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. Genesis 14, um, starting in verse 18. So Abraham was out to battle, and Abraham had conquered a lot of different kings and kingdoms. And he went out, and this is what it says. After Abraham returned from defeating all of these kings, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High and blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram tithed to Melchizedek king of Salem. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Salem means peace. So Melchizedek was also the king of peace, king of righteousness. And Abraham realized something immediately about Melchizedek. He had the same faith in the same God that I did. And it doesn't go into any more detail than that, but the character of this king was so impactful to Abram that Abram gave him a tenth of all of the spoils of the conquest, of the victories. Then you don't hear of Melchizedek again, ever, until way later on in Scripture. We're going to come back. Or no, this is what um, Hebrews 7, this is what it says. Check this out. Then Melchizedek, this Melchizedek has no father or mother and no record of any of his ancestors. He was never born, and he never died. But his life is like a picture of the Son of God, a king priest forever. That's weird. If you study, there are many theologians that believe Melchizedek was actually Jesus incarnate. Or he was a type and shadow of Christ. We're going to come back to him in just a moment. Let's go to the Levitical priesthood. So now, in Exodus 28, God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I need you to take Aaron and his sons, and we're going to anoint them as the very first priests of Israel. Aaron was anointed the very first high priest of Israel. His sons were the first priests who serve under his leadership. And they were anointed as priests, and only the descendants of Aaron, of the tribe of Levi, could be priests. So 
Just one family lineage held the priesthood. Thank God it's not like that today. Only they could be chosen. Priests, their responsibilities, they would perform daily sacrifices. They would oversee the operations of the tabernacle. And they would help people maintain their relationship with God. Priests were people's intermediary or their um, representative before God. And they were required to maintain a lifestyle worthy of that office. It was a very high calling, the priesthood. And holiness was the standard of their lifestyle. Even down to how they dressed, the fabrics that they wore, the preparation they would go through on a daily basis to serve the people of God, to lead them. Well now, okay, so go through the rest of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years, centuries, we come to Jesus. Jesus Christ, our high priest. This is what the scripture says. Check this on the screen, Psalm 110. I told you we'd be coming back to this Melchizedek, dude. You are a high priest forever, speaking of Jesus here, in the order of Melchizedek. What in the world does that even mean? Right? I don't get it. Okay, I'll explain it to you. Here's the importance of this. From a king that was only mentioned one time in all of scripture, we don't know anything about this dude, he, there was no lineage, there was no record of his death, nothing else. So why in the world would it say, Jesus, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? Here's why. Because Melchizedek was a priest before the priesthood of Israel was ever established. Remember, God said you had to be of the tribe of Levi, you had to be a descendant of Aaron in order to be a priest. Priests were the only one, the high priest was the only one who ever had access to the presence of God. One time a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and actually have a direct and divine encounter with God. Once a year, and they would represent the voice of God to the people. But here's the importance. Jesus wasn't of the tribe of Levi. And you had to be of the tribe of Levi in order to be a priest. Jesus wasn't. Who was Jesus? What tribe was he from? We just sang it this morning. The lion of the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was one of those tribes. And the, Jesus was a descendant of that tribe. Why is that important to us? Because the priesthood of all believers does not depend on genealogy, but it depends on the righteousness that we receive from repentance and a relationship with Jesus. We're all priests. It doesn't matter your family line. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what city you were born and raised in. Righteousness is the requirement of being priests. And guess what? We're all righteous in Jesus Christ. You should get a little more excited about that, but that's okay. We're going to move forward. Here's what the word says. So don't take it from me. Take it from scripture. Read this. Um, the king priest, talking about Jesus, did not arise because of genealogical right under the law to be a priest, but by the power of an indestructible resurrection life. For it says in Psalms, you are like Melchizedek, a king priest forever. Next slide. The old order of priesthood has been set aside as weak and powerless. For the law has never made anyone perfect, but it's in its place is a far better hope, which gives us confidence to experience 
intimacy. There's that word again, with God. See, we can now come directly into the presence of God without fear. We can come directly into the presence of God without fear. That may not mean a lot to you, but way back then, it meant everything. Because if you came into the presence of God in an unworthy manner, if you were not part of the correct lineage, if you were not the high priest, what happened when you encountered the presence of God? Boom, you died. Imagine that culture shift. Jesus died. Boom, temple curtain was torn. We now have divine access. Can you imagine the first person? (laughs) No way I'm that dude, I'll tell you that. My goodness, for thousands of years it's been one way. Even the best of intentions, the guy who reached out, you know, as the ark was fallen, touched the ark of the covenant and dropped dead. He was just trying to help. But now we can come directly into God's presence without fear. Intimacy with God was an impossibility during the old covenant. Only the high priest once a year. Imagine if it was like that today. And Leslie or I was the only one, and only one time a year could we access the presence of God. And you would be waiting for us to come and tell you what God has spoken. To prophesy over you. But guess what? You can all do it because you are all a chosen people. You are all a royal priesthood because you have all been made righteous through faith in Jesus. Jesus came as the once and for all sacrifice for our sins, reconciling us back to the Father and now sits as our high priest at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. That's what the priests did. They interceded. They were a mediator in between God and the people. They prayed for the people. They made their sacrifices to atone for the people's sin. But Jesus, once and for all, he did it. And now he is our high priest. He sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you. Ever thought about this before? I wonder what he's saying. Here's when I think about that. I get into, you know, someone that frustrates me or annoys me, and that happens sometimes. And the Holy Spirit will just remind me, they're a child of God. Jesus is interceding for them. What do you think Jesus is saying about them right now? Boy, does that change my perspective. He is our high priest, and we are his royal priesthood. Amen? I'm really intimidated to go on now. (laughs) That was so good. So my job now is to tell you What does this mean to you? When we say that you're a priest, and he just painted a beautiful picture of the Old Testament priesthood. So what does this mean for us? Who are we? What do we have access to? I don't think God killed the man that touched the ark like because he didn't like him. I think God's presence is so powerful He's so powerful that his, if we stepped into his presence without the covering of a priest, it, it's too much for our physical human bodies to take, right? So when he touched the presence, it did him in. 
Because God's presence is power. And now, because of Jesus, our high priest, every day, every hour, every second, through faith in him, we can step in that presence and walk in that presence. It's not behind a curtain anymore. Jesus is our high priest. Priests were advocates, mediators. They did the sacrificing. Jesus became our advocate, our mediator, our sacrifice, covering us through his blood. Therefore, he has redeemed us into his identity as sons and daughters, as his righteousness, and as anointed priests. That is who you are. There are so many beautiful aspects of our identity, but I feel I need to touch on these three. What I just mentioned, that you are sons and daughters, that you are made righteous through him, and that you are an anointed priest. The title of the message today is Not Just Saved. A lot of the time we go through life and thank God we're saved. Yes, absolutely. But you're not just saved from your sin. You are transformed by the power of God in your life. You are transformed. You are adopted as a son and a daughter. Yeah? Like, yes, you're saved from your sin and you're not going to hell, but there's so much more. How many of you want more? Like, ugh, okay. And I know we've been coming back to this place and we're listening to the Holy Spirit. We're praying. We're asking God to direct what we say to you and what we bring to you. And he keeps bringing us back to the word identity. What is the crisis in our culture right now? We are in an identity crisis. Human beings who do not know their creator, who do not know who they are, who do not know why they're here, who do not know how to function because they're not connected to the one that made them. We are in an identity crisis, and I believe that God is calling the church again and again and again and wooing her. He's not, he's not up there with a big stick banging down and saying, you bad people, get in line. It's through his mercy that he draws us to repentance. His kindness, excuse me, it's his kindness that draws us to repentance, which is mercy, right? His kindness draws us. And as we're drawn in through Jesus and we say yes to him and we say, and we ask him to be the Lord of our life and we say, we will follow you, you become adopted as a child of God. You are a son, you are a daughter. That is your first identity. I am Pastor Lear and Ruthie's daughter. I'm also a pastor, but I'm their daughter first because they had me and you know how that works, okay? So you, first of all, are a daughter and a son. 
You have to do nothing but receive Jesus, receive his salvation in your life to become the daughter and son. You don't have to perform. You don't have to make it your way. You don't have to do things for God. You don't have to go to the temple anymore and sacrifice. You are made right just by saying yes, by confessing your sin, by believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. It says you will be saved. And you immediately become adopted as his child. You are now of the royal bloodline, the holy priesthood, an heir. And this is cool. You're a temple of the living God. Before, in the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in a building. That they had very specific instructions to create, correct? That's where his presence was. But you go into the New Testament, and you go into the New Covenant, and you can read it in 2 Corinthians 6.18, and, and the whole of chapter 6, there's a section titled, Temple of the Living God. We now have become his temple. We are his sons and daughters, we are priests, we are heirs, and we have become his temple. 2 Corinthians 18, I will be a true father to you, and you will be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord Yahweh Almighty. This is a prophetic word found in 2 Samuel and Isaiah. Paul put it together and put it in 2 Corinthians. You're a temple of the living God. You actually carry the holy of holies within you. How crazy is that? Okay. One more passage on sons and daughters. Romans 8. Oh, my goodness. If you haven't read Romans 8 in a long time, read Romans 8. It's my favorite. It is all about our identity. Romans 8. The title of this section is Sons and Daughters Destined for Glory. What are you destined for? Hey. I'm going to skip down and read verse 16. But, oh, my goodness. All of it is so good. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our inter innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Do you know that 24-7 he whispers, you're my beloved child? 24-7. He never stops. You are my beloved child. 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 Mike, you are his beloved child. You have to look up the word beloved because it's such a good word. And since we are his true children, verse 17, since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. Not some of what Jesus has, not part of what Jesus, all. That's a good verse. All. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. You are a son and you are a daughter. And no one can take that identity from you. Jesus died 
so that you could be his brother and his sister. And his blood flows through your veins. I think that's cool. Your identity as a priest, as a daughter, as a son, you, you have the ability to hold the Holy of Holies because of Jesus' righteousness. This stuck out to me when we were studying this because when the priests prepared to go into the temple, they had to prepare themselves down to washing a certain way, like the, the clothes, everything is very specific, right? Aren't you glad that you don't have to get up Sunday morning, wash four times, fold your clothes, unfold them, like do specific things. You don't have to do that anymore before you come to church. You following with me? Do we get that he has literally covered us in his righteousness? Part of your identity is you are righteous. Righteous, dude. I can't do an accent. You're righteous. I need a Californian to do that for me. <laughs> like a beat, you know, never mind. Okay. You're righteous. You alone do not hold the ability to be righteous. How many of you can go with me on there? It is not my ability on my own. I cannot do that. But through Jesus, you have the ability to literally become his righteousness. You have become his righteousness. So that you can be, and God's presence can be in you. You are completely forgiven. Jesus divinely completed the holiness factor for you. Does that mean that well, that's a, that's a whole other suitcase to unpack. But the other thing I wrote down here is hunger and thirst after righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, I love this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For they will be filled. What is righteousness again? Doing all the right things? Should I rephrase that? Who is righteousness? So who should you be hungering and thirsting for? Jesus. And what does it say? That when you hunger and thirst for his righteousness, you will be filled. You will gain victory. You will take ground. You will be free. If there is a sin that you're dealing with in your life and you are stuck and you are, you are, are just frustrated and you can't, you, it's just one of those things. You know it's there. You know you're dealing with it. You keep bringing it to the cross. Keep bringing it to the cross. His righteousness is your righteousness, and he will set you free. Eric shared a testimony. I hope you don't mind me saying this, Eric, but he shared a testimony Wednesday night. He's, they're doing a prophetic um, small group on Wednesday night. It's so powerful. If you haven't got to make it, you got to come. But he shared a testimony about his life and something he was dealing with. And he said, I got to the place where I had to take my ground because I knew Christ's righteousness was mine. I knew the ministry of reconciliation was working in my life. And I knew he could take this from me. 
And so what was so powerful to me is that he, he said, I took my ground and I cried out to God. It's not a passive thing. It is a pursue righteousness, hunger. When you're hungry, when you're thirsty, you go after the food, amen? Bless God for food. But that's the same thing that when we hunger and we thirst for him, he brings freedom in our lives. And guess what? It's easy. It's not something we have to strive for. We just have to take our ground and say, I'm hungry. Help me. I'm thirsty. Fill me. Positioning ourselves for his righteousness to keep flowing through our lives. And as the closer and closer we get to him, the more and more we look like him. Amen? I look like Jesus, right? I'm his sister. It's so cool. Okay. Where am I? Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Another amazing passage in the same chapter, which is so cool. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. We're in verse 21. So that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. How do we become the righteousness of God? We unify ourselves with him. Oh, it is so good. It is so good. And I love that verse because that's proof. Like, I'm righteous, dude. <laughs> you are righteous. Whatever the enemy is trying to whisper in your ear to tell you you're not enough, you're too much, you do this, you do that, and he keeps shoving your mistakes or your past in your face, that isn't your past anymore. Jesus doesn't even remember it. If you brought it to the cross, it's gone. Right? As far as the east is from the west. But we have to bring it to the cross. We have to let his righteousness, whoops, cover it. Right? So good. So good. Oh, good. Okay. You have to become his righteousness in order to approach the Father in boldness and be a temple for him to dwell. Approaching him in boldness is what we get to do now. We don't have to do what Travis said. Okay, can we step in or not? No, we get to go right up and say, hey, Dad, what's up? I love you so much. This is what's going on in my life, and this is what I need you to do. Intimacy with him. So this last part of your identity that I want to speak into is your priesthood identity. And I put this in, but you are an anointed, a Holy Spirit anointed priest. When priests were anointed for their service, they would pour oil on their head, right? This is so cool. And that, that, that this is some of the things I've read in commentary, but I believe and what I've read is that the oil that is poured on their head is to represent the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus came and he made us right and he made us daughters and sons and he made us priests, he also anointed us with his Holy Spirit. He said, wait for him to come. The Holy Spirit is our anointing. He's our power. He's our source, right? Isn't that cool? Like, I just love how the Old Testament, God, you know, every part of it is like a mirror to his plan in the New Testament. You can see the plan of redemption from the beginning to the end. Right, Dean? It is a beautiful picture. And you know what it says to me? That God loves his creation. He loves us. 
John 3, 16, he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. For God so loved the world, right? He is crying out to be in union with you. So this part, Holy Spirit anointed priests, you are under the royal priesthood of Jesus. Jesus is our high priest, our ultimate high priest. He has made the final sacrifice for your sin. It is finished. It is finished. Right? It's not partially. Okay, I think we're done here. It is finished. You are a priest who now has complete access to two things. So you want to know what you're, what you're to do as a priest. Are you ready? This is my favorite part. We have access to intimacy with the Father. Hebrews 7, 19, for the law has never made anyone perfect. Listen, the law has never made anyone perfect. But in its place is a far better hope. But in its place, replacing it, taking it and, and, and completing it is a far better hope, which gives a confidence to experience intimacy with God. I told a friend the other day, God is speaking so much. We're hearing him speak so much. And I don't think he ever wasn't speaking, you guys. I don't think he ever said, oh, I'm not going to speak to this generation. I don't think he ever was speaking. I think what I am learning is to tune my ear into his voice because he loves me and he's not the type of father to hold back from his children. He doesn't want you to not hear from him. He wants you to hear from him. He wants you to have intimacy with him. And sometimes you feel a quickening, even in your gut. It could feel like your stomach is getting upset. And you hear something, and you're like, what is this? This is just me. I'm just thinking this. How many of you have ever felt that before? And you're like, what is happening? That was the voice of God. And if you're not sure, if it doesn't make sense, what should you do? Ask him. Write it down. Holy Spirit is good at explaining giving you prophetic words, giving you words of knowledge, intimacy, prophecy, and miracles. Right, guys? The guys that went on the uh, trip this weekend, that was one of the things they talked about, intimacy, prophecy, and miracles. Because when you step in and you continue with an intimate relationship with Jesus and with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he speaks so loud. He's not, he's not yelling at you, by the way. Usually it's a gentle whisper or a knowing in your spirit. Intimacy with the Father. And number two, calling to actively bring this redemption to all people. You no longer have to be like the priests and absolve their sins, right? But what is our responsibility then? Because the priests went after redeeming their people. The priests made it their, their, it was their mission to redeem their people. And so what is our mission? What is our calling? What is our identity as a priest? To redeem our people. Right? That's so pretty. Calling to actively bring this redemption. 
2 Peter 2.9, God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would, this is your role, broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. What are you, what are you to do? have intimacy with him. And then I think, Mayana, what happens naturally? You naturally broadcast his glory. When you spend time with somebody, you naturally, it's a natural thing. You don't plant a tree and force it to grow fruit. A, a tree absorbs nutrients and water, hungers and thirsts. And what comes out of that tree? Fruit. When we spend time in his presence, when we are rooted and grounded, we will bear redemption fruit. All we have to do is spend time with him. And what does that look like? For you, for your day, for your time. Revelation 5, 9, just one more beautiful verse. Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God. Out of every tribe, language, people group, and nation, you have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on earth. Revelation 1, I'm just jumping back. And to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood, to serve his, his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. Will you stand with me? You guys are kind of a big deal. You're kind of a big deal. You're kind of a big deal, Mary Kay. You're such a big deal that he said, I'm not gonna just save them. I'm not going to just save them. I'm going to give them a new identity. I'm going to give them power. I'm going to give them strength. I'm going to give them intimacy because you now hold the holy of holies right here. I want to commission you, your priesthood responsibilities, our intimacy with the Father, and actively serving others towards redemption. That is what we're called to do. That is what we're made to do. And it could look like your priestly duties are done at a bank every day. Your priestly duties are done in a business in New Philadelphia. Your priestly duties are done at a school. Right? Intimacy and actively serving others towards redemption. This is going to get a little personal. But this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying. 
And I feel like we can all say this, but I really want you to think for a second. How many of you in this room would say, I need more intimacy with God? It's yours. He's your father. And a good father sits down, puts you on his lap, and says, Talk to me. Tell me all the things. Right? We're going to take time, and Pastor Travis is going to sing this song. And I. I invite you, most everybody in the room raised their hand, and I think we can all, but I don't want us to all just raise our hand because it's the thing to do in church. I want, this is like a, this is a, um, this is a beautiful moment between you and Father, and he's saying, I literally want you to just take my hand and walk with me, like a father walks with a daughter, like a son walks with with a father. It's that simple. It's not complicated. And it's personal. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a temple. You carry him with you everywhere you go. And sometimes we just have to tune our ear a little bit say, oh, there you are, right? So let's tune our ear as we worship to this last song. Let's take a minute. I know it's time, but I feel like that there's things that God wants to share with you right now. He wants to pour into you right now. He wants to strengthen you right now as we worship. He has something to say to you. You matter to him. You're a big deal to him. So let's worship him for just a few minutes.